Hey everyone, thanks for joining me today. We'll be speaking with Dr. Wendy Humphrey Van Meter. She specializes in providing dental care for children and adolescents and works with many special needs kids and parents in the most amazing and comforting way. Not to mention that she's incredibly sweet as a person. If you're enjoying our podcast, please rate and review us wherever you listen to podcasts and share us with a friend. That's how we make our voice stronger. Thanks for listening. Welcome to My Autism Tribe, a community of advocates that are linked by autism but bound by strength. This is a time to find our sounding board and shoulders that help us carry life's load without the fear of criticism. We give and receive. We nurture and empower. I'm your host, Susan Scott. A trip to the dentist is sometimes not the very favorite thing to do for a lot of children and even adults. But to an autistic child, it can be absolutely traumatic. Not only can the visit itself cause distress because it's not part of the normal routine, but there are strangers putting hands in the mouth, strange sounds, tastes, bright lights, and maybe even a little pain. It's not always fun, but there are things that you can do to make the whole experience as painless as possible. Not all dentists are comfortable with children on the autism spectrum, and even some pediatric dentists. There are questions you can ask when deciding if a dentist is the right choice for your family. Today's guest, Dr. Wendy, in full disclosure, is my son's dentist. She's been absolutely amazing to work with, and now I'm happy to report that her office is no longer on Alex's bad list of places to go. Let's welcome Dr. Wendy. Thanks so much for joining us today, Wendy. I'm really excited. I've let everyone kind of know that you are my son's dentist, and I absolutely love you to death. So thanks for joining us. No problem. Happy to, to chime in and offer any support that I can um, for any families and patients out there to try to make dentistry a little bit um, less unnerving, a little bit more pleasant um, for all of our patients. I know that you've made the experience for us um, just just really, really good and, and comforting. And so I guess we'll, we'll kind of start off with your background. So, you know, you're here in Lexington, Kentucky. That's where you're seated. Why don't you kind of share with everyone how you got into dentistry and the pediatric dentistry to be specific? So I am a hometown girl. I've been in Lexington since I was a toddler. And all of my training was done through the University of Kentucky. So um, I did my undergraduate training there. I went to dental school at the University of Kentucky. And then um, I also actually did two residencies. I did a residency in hospital-based dentistry uh, for general practice. And then I also did a pediatric dental residency where I was also um, a part-time faculty member, of which I still am a part-time faculty member at the College of Dentistry for pediatric dentistry. Um, I was knew I was interested in healthcare from early age. So when I was in college, I went and volunteered at all different areas of healthcare, from physical therapy to pharmacy to working in a hospital, and kind of pushed dentistry off to the side because my mom um, is a formal faculty member at the College of Dentistry at UK, mm-hmm. and then finally decided, hey, let me go check that out, and of course fell in love with it. And um, there are pretty two, pretty much two people that I attribute um, introducing me to pediatric dentistry. Um, that was um, my mentor, Dr. John Mink, um, who passed away about two years ago mm-hmm. at the um, young age of 93 oh and practiced goodness. dentistry up until his mid-80s. Yeah, he's phenomenal. And um, 
one of my best friend's fathers who I met at college who is a pediatric dentist down in Nashville and whose son is also um, a pediatric dentist down in Nashville, Tennessee. So um, they introduced me to the specialty and then it's the one I fell in love with. I appreciated the fact that I really enjoyed working with age extremes. I either wanted to work with the really young or I wanted to work with the really old. Mm -hmm. So um, I chose pediatrics. Awesome. And haven't regretted it or looked back since. Well, you definitely have just the the motherly tone, and of course, you're a mother yourself, so that certainly helps. Although I'm sure that you've always been amazing, like when you've been working with kiddos. But I do think that it's a specific calling that people have to have, because Alex has been to some dentists that. I felt like they could have been amazing dentists, really, and even in the pediatric field, but they just didn't have that connection, I felt like, with the kids, and that makes all the difference in the world. It really does. And so, as a mother yourself, you know, when when we first kind of called you and got a visit with you... Uh, your staff was just, everyone there was just really, really great, um, very soft-spoken. You know, the waiting room was really nice. You know, of course, you have, like, the toys and things like that. Um, and the first visit, now, Alex has, of course, made a lot of progress, and that's really due to all of your amazing staff and yourself. But it was more of, like, a friendly visit. And when people make their appointment with you, how are what are some of the processes that you use when you're first working with a parent? Let's say they have a little kiddo that's on the spectrum. Do they let you know beforehand? I know that I did. How do you prepare them for that? Well, uh, some parents are really good about letting us know um, actually over the phone when they first call to set up that first initial appointment and mm-hmm. whether or not. Um, kind of what they're looking for. It really helps. My staff are actually pretty um, pretty well trained as long as you're willing to, to offer that information over the phone as to try to get some of that information to say, okay, do you want this to be more of a pleasant visit where we come in and just let, you, let your child check out the space, let you as a family, as a parent or a caregiver check out the space, mm-hmm. um, and then how depending on how the, the, the child actually responds to our environment, how much more we're willing to go um, beyond that. And mm-hmm. um, if that's not information that's given over the telephone, then it's normally given to us um, when completing the health history. Um, we ask a lot of questions on our forms when we're having you come in, asking if there's any fears, if they've had any negative experience in the past with loud noises, with um clearly with dental things such as dental x-rays and examinations and things like that that kind of prompt parents if they're willing to share that experience with that mm-hmm. um, so that way we can try to help cater the appointment more to the patient we have some patients that literally after two or three appointments um, as we graduate the experience in so maybe the first experience is just playing around and um, getting to know us and our staff um, sometimes it's helpful if I can go ahead and get an examination done at that time, um, whether or not if there's a concern that the parent or caregiver has. Other times we'll just hold off and bring them back in. Um, it's mm-hmm. not always set at six-month intervals either. A lot of times we'll offer to bring the patient back in for what we call kind of a desensitization appointment. Mm-hmm. 
Um, I'm used to working with occupational therapists, speech pathologists, um, and then honestly just alternative caregivers that are involved in children's lives just to try to get past a certain oral aversions they have. And it's really the more information that we can give one another is what really helps to make that experience really, um, really try to get it um, just more pleasant for everyone. Sometimes that can happen within two to three appointments um, and within a year of when they first come to our practice. Other times it takes years. Um, mm-hmm. So when it does take a lot longer, it's not only exciting for myself, but it's really exciting for my staff members. And we get really proud when we see a patient who used to be able to stand in the corner to let us do the exam mm-hmm. sure. <laughs> and, and maybe introduce a toothbrush to, you know, if sometimes if it takes um, three, four, five years down the road to get them to sit in the dental chair and be able to us to do the full experience, you know, to be able to do the prophylaxis and use hand instruments as well as being able to do that, what we lovingly call our little tickle brush or spin brush. Yeah. But that also takes help from home is saying, you know, will they tolerate a battery powered toothbrush in the mouth at home and trying to put things in terms. And then every time they come in, if once they get used to one thing, um, introducing something new towards the end of the appointment. So that mm-hmm. way we can reintroduce that at the next appointment. Um, so, but the biggest thing is, is what are their aversions? Are there certain things that send, send them off? Like, do they do not like touch? Do they avoid it? Do they seek deep touch? Because in a dental office, especially a pediatric office, we're going to stimulate every single sense you have. Oh, sure. Sight. Yep. Across yeah. the board. Absolutely. So it's, just getting to know kids and knowing that sometimes that if there is a concern that sometimes we may have to struggle a little bit just for me to get in there and do a look but do a quick look just so I can say yes this is an issue or no this isn't and then also to say hey what can we be doing at home as well as when they come to the office to try to keep things healthy yeah there is I mean it's a whole sensory experience and I really worked with Alex on creating you know, what we call social stories and going to the dentist. And there are tons of kids' books out there about going to the dentist, the Berenstein Bears, and like a, you know, episode of on Mr. Rogers. But I think that that's really important. But I even, like, you can get at, you know, any of the grocery stores or pharmacies or whatever, like the little packs, I don't even know, I'm going to slaughter this language, but like the little dental instruments you know, and you can most recently at Target. And I think it's just now online, but they had it at the dollar spot for a while. They had a mirror and an explorer and an explorer is just what everybody knows is the metal hook that is the tooth counter. And that just helps us check for decay. Um, And then little plastic teeth, but there's Play-Doh teeth. I mean, there's all different ways. And the other thing that I love and that I think that pediatric dentists specifically are really good about is that online, we have tours of our office. So they're not necessarily virtual tours. For my office, it's just a photographic tour, mm-hmm. but it has pictures of the waiting room and the front check-in desk and um, some of the toys and things that they can explore. What our dental chairs look like. What our um, what just the rewards system. So that way, at least the 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 environment is exposed to it. And we've helped 
therapist I know create those visual stories um, before by helping to put together a book and some parents will go as far as to ask for photographs of the staff members and those are also online but um, specifically asking for more detailed ones that's a that's so, a that's a really cool um, idea is actually going online and you've provided those pictures because that can be huge for a child you know, it's all about preparation and talking to them about it, sometimes weeks in advance and really getting them prepared to go in. And even once you're there, I, just like you would as if, you know, when you have a baby, you know, you have the little diaper bag of all, it's like an arsenal of anything that you may ever need when you're on the road or in a restaurant or whatever. <laughs> it's like, I, I would pack an arsenal. So it's like, I would have like the iPad, of course I have my my phone, sunglasses, earplugs, you've got the, a lap weight or like a heavy toy, all of this stuff uh, that I would bring in if at any second notice I would need it, then I would have it. So you've probably experienced a lot of people bringing in bags of, you know, their tools. Well, and what most people don't realize is the half of the things you just mentioned, we already have here. We, um, we have various yeah. shades and colors and sizes of sunglasses because we know that light can be bright. If it's still too bright, um, we won't even use the dental operatory light until the very last. And we'll tell the patient ahead of time we're going to turn it on and say we need this for 10 seconds, 20 seconds, and maybe count. But it's just, again, knowing all of those different things that may may trigger for them to have a negative response or mm -hmm. something they may seek. We have some patients that like bright lights, so um, that we'll use clear glasses with um, instead of sunglasses just to help protect their eyes. We have, um, of course, if we get to the point of taking dental radiographs or x-rays of the teeth, we have um, the heavy lead aprons that we use as part of our standard of care, but sometimes we use those just as oh, yeah. extra weight for the patients. Um, if we know that someone seeks deep um, sensory input, I will apply firm pressure for a majority of my examination just on the shoulder or on the upper arm and mm -hmm. not try to remove that pressure while I'm actually doing other things with my other hand in their mouth. Um, we have iPads, little miniature iPod iPads here that we have a little clip of it so a, a child, if they want to, can watch or listen to music or watch. Um, we stream really anything that you can find on Netflix, YouTube Kids, anything like that. Um, there's mm -hmm. one patient that we have that comes to mind who's been seeing us for a very long time, and she likes to listen to Wheels on the Bus over and over and over yeah. again. But but it helps her um, to sing through the appointment, and she loves that song, and that's what we do. That's awesome. Yeah, so it's really just making it you, to get through it because we all have to go to the dentist, whether we like it or not. And um, and just trying to make it's probably never going to be an absolutely fun experience for for most of you know these these kiddos. But if we can make it through, then then that's great. Um, as far as like the toothpaste, I know this is kind of a somewhat of a big thing for Alex. He'll tolerate a different tooth toothpaste, but we have a very specific brand of toothpaste um, that's bubblegum flavor. And that is the toothpaste that he will will tolerate the the most. Like, do you ever see parents bringing in their own toothpaste, or how yes. do you guys work with that? Um, well, we also know that um, flavors are big, textures are big, um, and that kind of thing. So we really are 
fairly accommodating with that um, and we'll kind of let the parent help guide us to see which product would be better for them um, if there is a certain level of stain on the patient's teeth that we feel like that we can't quite remove with hand instruments and they will tolerate the propiangle. We may just selectively in certain areas um, use kind of a gritty textured paste, but then just immediately just wipe it off after we get the stain off with a piece of dampened gauze, like a piece of wet, um, we call it like a little wet towel or rag to the patient, but it's just a piece of gauze that's wet. Um, In terms of home care, we say use what works. The mm-hmm. mechanical act of the toothbrush brushing is what's doing a lion's share of the work. Okay. Toothpaste itself is either flavoring to motivate the child to put the toothbrush in their mouth, or it has the products in it like fluoride, which I am a believer in. Um, we do promote the mm-hmm. use of fluoridated products in our office, but if that is something that you and your household have decided to not use, then we would encourage you to use um, a sugar substitute like xylitol products that are also known to help prevent plaque formation on the teeth, which is a nice alternative to fluoride if you don't feel comfortable using fluoride products in your child's mouth. But for us, it's all about what can we get in. If it's water on a toothbrush, great. If that's comfortable, then we say maybe we can find a fluoride rinse that the toothbrush can be dipped in Mm-hmm. and then brushed with so you're delivering fluoride to the mouth even though the child may not tolerate the fluoride oh, but right. um, again the goal is to overall is to desensitize them and slowly introduce a little bit but you're right trying to find the right flavor the right texture because even toothpaste that you can buy at target and walmart or off of amazon all have different flavors and different textures on whether or not it's a gel or a paste or a combination of it. And then as a parent, (laughs) I have an eight-year-old and a five-year-old. What gets really frustrating is you think you're doing really good. They love this flavor. And then you find out that they're going to discontinue that flavor or the character that they love, that they're motivating with, they're not making on that toothbrush anymore. So that gets to be so frustrating when they're like, yes, we've got this toothpaste. It's great. And then all of a sudden they're like, new and improved. And then you realize it's not quite the same flavor and it's not quite the same texture. And you may realize that to you, it tastes the same, but your child will tell you otherwise. Oh, sure. The slightest (laughs) difference learning how to adapt and so that's why with like Alex the the bubblegum's great because Mm -hmm. um, that's a flavor that's not going to go away (laughs) but some of the other ones my son's favorite one is watermelon burst and it's a gel delivery one and um, I know that they're going to pull it off the market soon and so it's going to take with him probably trial and error of a couple other flavors to try to see which one he'll like. He likes the gel mm-hmm. because it's not as gritty as a paste. It took a long time of us kind of trying to find that because he does have some of those sensory issues that I've had to deal with as a parent. Mm-hmm. So sad to do that, but I get to face that same situation. But yeah. the biggest thing is, like I said, is getting the toothbrush in. If your child has so many oral aversions and has a hard time with toothbrushing normally there are other oral aversions that are also happening as well or may not like being touched around the mouth and the cheeks and that's when um, it really helps to work with occupational therapist and a speech pathologist about trying to introduce teeth cleansing aids into the mouth they're age appropriate uh, but also just knowing that it's something that has to be done 
because mm-hmm. it's a fairly quick thing that can be done that can be so preventative of so many issues down the road. Cavities, possible infection, gum disease, and all of that can be prevented with really good oral hygiene from the start. That's amazing. And that's been one of my fears with Alex, although, you know, so far, knock on wood, he has not had any cavities or any really dental problems. And that's been with a lot of work. But some of those kiddos, let's say, that do need, like if they have a cavity and they need to get that filled, do you guys do sedation or what is the process for that? So here in our office, it all just depends on the volume of treatment, the type of treatment that needs, and then the patient itself. Sometimes it can be done with just adding in a little bit of laughing gas. Mm-hmm. Sometimes that that's not even needed. Sometimes they'll tolerate getting treatment done in the chair. Um, we do offer oral conscious sedation in the office. Um, there are different medications that we can offer to use, again, depending on the child themselves, the type of treatment that needs to be done. Um, and then there are other alternatives beyond oral conscious sedation. Um, those are not ones that I offer to do currently in my practice, but they are available not only in my area, but then in other areas of the country where there's um, intranasal um, Mm -hmm. sedation where they can use um, just like a basically it's called a nasal automaton I'm going to mess that word up it turns a liquid medication into a nasal spray and sometimes that can be that can be effective Um, again my five-year-old son does not like having nasal spray um, used in his nose so I think for him you know, if he ever needed a procedure, I think an oral medication would probably be a little easier on him. Some patients require IV sedation, and then other patients can't really tolerate anything. So the safest place for them, especially if it's something that's just really bad or really big, yeah. um, is for outpatient surgery in the operating room. Yeah. But at the same time, I also always encourage parents, if you're going to do that, do they need blood work? Do they need other things done while they're there in that in that surgical setting that they may not otherwise be able to have done in a traditional setting and it's not unusual at all for patients to have multiple procedures done at the same time they may need like an EKG or an echo done of their heart at the same time so they'll kind of have multiple services that are doing multiple things on a child all in one fell swoop if you're going to that level to provide dental care sure that's a great point I never even thought about that yeah well if a child really starts having some problem behaviors when they're back there they're in the chair what are some of the things that parents can do to work with you to prevent those problem behaviors or as they're occurring what is the best way that parents can engage the dentist or their child um the biggest thing for me is communication um if there is something that's happening mid-treatment there and we are a pretty quick team around here too there are things that we can do to just immediately either temporize or stop what we're doing Mm -hmm. um, and then have discussions with the parents about okay what do we think the possible triggers were so that way um to come back in or to try different approaches to things and then also as you said as a parent you're right you're like a scout you're be you're prepared be prepared you always come in with kind of like your bag of tricks and things mm-hmm. like that so it's helpful uh, for us to know that you know we have some things um, in our office that we know have helped patients in the past but if there are other specific things that we can do 
um, bring those with you. And we're happy to do everything we can to try to be as helpful as we can. But the biggest thing is just communicating for us to try to introduce things slowly to, like I said, maybe initially having to kind of battle through getting an exam done if that's necessary, but just really trying to get to know each other. And that's what it takes. And I think that's the biggest battle is having the patient get to know us in our practice and then for us to get to know them and also knowing that those needs change. Yeah. And trying to learn to adapt. So communication is before, during, and after is the biggest thing. Yeah. I want to let parents know as much information as they can provide the dentist or the office staff beforehand, the easier I think it's going to be for everyone involved. And there's nothing wrong with, yeah, just um, sharing as much information as you possibly can because it's, there's never too much information. I think it's, you know, all of it, it can be very, very useful. So thank you so much for your time, Wendy. You've been absolutely wonderful not only as a dentist, but as a friend. And just, uh, as I told everyone, it's just, it's no longer on Alex's bad list of places to go (laughs) that he actually looks forward to it. Um, And that's what we want. That's our overall goal. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of it, yeah. I mean, a lot of it, those little gumball kind of machines that have the different toys in there, that's a huge, huge plus. But yeah, absolutely. Everyone there has been amazing. And um, it's a good fit for Alex. So, you know, that's that's our dentist home right there. We love seeing him. He's a pleasure. Parents and caregivers need to be aware that not all dentists have the experience or comfort level when working with patients on the autism spectrum, and that's completely okay. Just make sure to ask the questions that will provide you with information so you can make the best decision. Some of these questions may include, do you work with special needs kids? Are parents allowed to stay with their children? How do you handle a child's anxiety? What do you do if you encounter problem behavior during the visit? Finding the right dentist that connect with your child will help in creating a positive dental experience. Just because you've had a problem visit to the dentist doesn't mean that this will always be the case. Just keep working at it. Thanks for joining me today and for being a part of my autism tribe. I'll see you next week.